Welcome back to another edition of Coronation Radio. I am your host, Patrick Gerhardt, and today we are talking to Barry Trammell of the Oklahoman. Barry is a veteran of these NUOU rivalry games and has been gracious enough to grant us an interview over them. Barry, thanks for coming on the show. How are you today? Well, I'm doing well. How's things in Nebraska? It's good. It's starting to kind of feel like fall up here. It only got up to 80 degrees and it should be in the 50s tonight. How are things down there in red dirt country? Hot, hot, hot. <laughs> uh, we had a, haven't hit 100 yet, but we might. And uh, I think it's still projected in the 90s for, for the uh, 18th of September when the Huskers are here. So Still that warm. But, you know, it's September. That's, that's not even uncommon up here. Yeah, let's yeah. let's jump into it. Uh, Barry, how long have you been at the Oklahoman? I've been at the Oklahoman 30 years now. Um, I was at the Norman Transcript, the paper in Norman, for 13 years before that. So I go back to professionally 1978. Um, but I grew up in Oklahoma and followed the, you know, the Sooners and the Big Eight and everybody else. So. Um, you know, I've uh, half a century of, of watching the Huskers, particularly in, in this series. No, it's, it, and, and a big series at that. You know, we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of the game of the century on the 18th of September, like you mentioned. Heading down to Oklahoma, you know, looking back on the series, you know, it wasn't always the biggest series until Devaney got there and turned Nebraska into something. And then, you know, all those years of Wilkinson and what he developed, which is, let's be honest, still felt today, one of the greatest coaches in college football history. You get into the seventies with between Osborne and Switzer, which I'll make some fun of here in a little bit, but you know, your experience in the histories, what are some of the, the memories that you have that stand out about it? Well, uh, what everybody remembers is the, you know, the Thanksgiving weekend, Embodied by the uh, by the seventy one game game of the century, which sort of kicked off the rivalry into into really high gear. The truth, though, is the seventies and the eighties, which were the the high water mark of, of the big red rivalry, they actually only played on Thanksgiving weekend nine out of those twenty years. So um, the date the, the the Thanksgiving tradition is not as strong as everybody remembers but the quality of the games was it was usually cold in norman it was usually freezing in lincoln and uh, the games were typically low scoring of course lots of college football was in those days you know first first one to 17 often won and uh battles of field position and big plays and um, you know the sooners got the best of the huskers uh, a lot but uh, i was thinking about this today Somebody was making a list of the best games in the rivalry, and I'd say the two most – I can say this. Nebraska deprived OU of a national championship twice, not just 71, but 1978 with a 17-14 upset. That Oklahoma team was ranked number one and I think was the best team in America. They ended up number three. Alabama and USC each finished 11-1, and, and Oklahoma finished 11-1. and, one, and um, So – you know, they, they knocked each other off quite a bit and, and caused each other quite a bit of angst. Um, and it was one of the – probably not one of. It was the greatest conference rivalry, I think, of, of those 20 years. 
the, the two teams that sort of embodied one conference, Alabama and whoever in the SEC, what, there was no rivalry like that in terms of conference supremacy. Uh, maybe the only thing that could rival, rival it was Ohio State, Michigan, and they didn't rise to the consistent level of Oklahoma and Nebraska. No, I think I think you make some great points in that. Like those, they were not just iconic games, but those those games meant so much to each fan base. And more often than not, that game determined who was probably going to end up winning the national title that year. And like you said, it went both ways. Uh, it heating up mainly between Osborne and Switzer, which you know I, I'm going to add, uh, Switzer definitely had the upper hand. I think he was five and twelve against or Osborne is five and twelve against them. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, you know, you get in the 80s, you get into the Sooner magic. Um, a lot of those were really close games, low scoring. I mean, they were all out slug fests um, outside of the, you know, 71 game and the 78 game, which, you know, like you just mentioned, stole stole a national championship away from Oklahoma. What are some of the other games you remember? Like what games that you covered that really stuck out? I mean, were there players plays i mean just specifics of anything that happened during that time frame for you well well the biggest the three games to me there are three games the sooner magic is a famous term down here i don't know if it spreads north of oh we know it very well you know okay okay, there you go sooner magic really starts and ends with the nebraska series OU fans and OU people and media nobody ever talks about sooner magic when it comes to the texas rivalry or bedlam. So it was, it was and is a Nebraska thing. And it stems from three games, um, 1976, 1980, and 1986. All three of those games were in Lincoln. 76 was, you know, OU had lost three games in five years. And they get to 76, and they were pretty good, but they were sort of rebuilding. And then they got a bunch of people hurt, and they limped into Lincoln uh, let's see. I can't remember if that was the last game, but if it wasn't, it was the next to last game. And they had two losses and a tie. And uh, the Big Eight was sort of parody driven. The winner of OU Nebraska was going to finish in a three-way tie with OSU and Colorado, strangely enough. So uh, Nebraska was a big favorite because o- OU had sort of just been struggling. And uh, Scott Hill was the OU safety. And he famously uh, prayed before the game and said, just to crack up his players, he said, "Uh, please, God, don't let the best team win. And um, so they go out and they have a good game. It's typical OU Nebraska. And it's 17-13 with, uh, you know, just about three minutes left. And um, Sooners are backed up deep in their own territory. And they throw a halfback pass out of the wishbone, the option. And it goes for about 40 yards and gets OU out of a big hole. But then a minute or so later, there's a minute left in the game, maybe a minute and a half, and they face third and 19. And, you know, old-timers will remember in the wishbone, there was no converting third and 19s. Uh, quick kick, <laughs> the call. And OU ran the old hook and ladder. The backup quarterback, Dean Blevins, he came in. He threw a pass, uh, a little uh, slant, or not a slant, a little sort of a hook. And uh, what we'd call sort of a, an inside hitch, maybe. Now, uh, receiver grabs it and then pitches immediately to a trailing halfback, Elvis Peacock, 
And Elvis Peacock runs down the left sideline, down to about the one or two yard line. And OU scores and wins the game 20 to 17. So two trick plays sort of birthed Sooner Magic. <laughs> 1980, I think it was 17-14, Nebraska. Same situation, two or three minutes left. OU's backed up, and uh, they had a freshman halfback named Buster Rhymes. They run just a regular option play, and Buster Rhymes breaks it. Goes 40-something yards and uh, sets up the winning touchdown. And then 86 was the ultimate, I thought. Um, OU was, uh, was out of the national title race. They'd lost to Miami. Miami was headed to play Penn State for the title. So Nebraska and Oklahoma were playing for conference pride. Huskers uh, were in great shape. They had a 17-10 lead. And um, OU, with not a very good passing attack, uh, throws a pass to Keith Jackson, gets in scoring position, scores to, to make it 17-16 with about a minute and a half left. And Barry Switzer decides to kick for the tie. Uh, because the tie would put OU in the Orange Bowl, and he plays for the tie. They tie it up. Nebraska comes out and, you know, to their credit, tries to win, but runs virtually no time off the clock, has to punt, 20 seconds left. OU has the ball around their own 40, own 35. Jamel Holloway throws one up. Keith Jackson, the great tight end, makes a big catch and rambles out of bounds down about the 20-yard line, OU runs on the field and kicks a game-winning field goal. So that was one of the most frustrating losses, I think, ever for Nebraska was, you know, even when OU wasn't even trying to win, when they were just trying to tie, they won the game. So those were the three games that embodied, to me, Sooner Magic. No, that, that that's good you mentioned that because I was just watching the other night the 86 game, and I, I think the kicker was Tim last year, right? That sounds right. Yeah, last year was 83 to 86 kicker. Yeah. I was just trying to think because I was, the, the, once he kicked it and I heard his name, I kind of went, well, I'm done with this one. So, <laughs> but no, it was good. And and like you said, you know, the Sooner Magic, the kind of described us the Oklahoma view of Tom Osborne in Nebraska back in the day. Like, what, what's kind of the feeling of that rivalry down there? All right. Here's, here's how I would describe Tom. Osborne in, in, Nebraska, in Oklahoma. Osborne was always, everybody knew he was a great coach. Everybody knew Nebraska was a great team. But Sooner sort of reveled in the fact that Switzer had Osborne's number. Uh, you mentioned, I think it was 12 to 5. OU, the, Switzer, he was coached 16 years, and he really only had one slump, 81 to 83. They had three straight years of four losses. So they were just sort of so-so in those three years. And they lost to Nebraska all three years. So otherwise, when, when they had a typical Switzer team, you know, he almost always won. It was 12 to 2, I guess, or 12 to 2. So, um, so they respected Osborne. They thought highly of him. And then, but they also sort of reveled in the fact that, you know, he's great, but Switzer's greater. <laughs> So retires and, you know, you sort of goes into a slump and Osborne sort of unrelated. I think I don't really, I don't really, you know, OU fans like to equate Switzer's retirement or fire ever, how you want to label it, his departure. They like to equate it with Osborne's elevation. I don't, I think this was going to happen no matter what happened with Switzer, but 
1993, all of a sudden Nebraska kicks it into overdrive and plays five years of maybe the best football the conference ever saw with those 93, 94, 95, 96, 97 teams. What was it? Four year or 60 and two, I guess it was. Or Yeah, 60 I mean, and three, I think. Yeah. 60 and three, whatever it was. Just unbelievable. Three national titles, almost had another. And um, just unbelievable football. And people all of a sudden, you know, even those who were partial to Switzer said, uh, I'm glad Switzer missed this version of Tom Osborne. I'm glad he didn't have to deal with the 94 Huskers or the 97 Huskers um, because they were a total load. And then, of course, Osborne retires uh, on top of his game as, you know, one of the greatest coaches of all time. No, it's, honestly, that's a very nice way of putting it. <laughs> you know you're on a, a Nebraska Corner Script podcast. Um Throughout those years, you know, Oklahoma in the 90s kind of had a little bit of a downturn. And I'm, I'm bringing some of this up to kind of educate some of our listeners because, you know, I remember a little bit of the 80s, mainly the 90s, Nebraska. Most of us grew up with the Oklahoma-Nebraska lore. I, I always viewed it as a unique rivalry because I always felt, and I talked to another Oklahoman earlier today about this, how it seemed like there was always respect between the two fan bases for the most part. I mean, Barry Switzer drove Osborne nuts, let's be honest, uh, on and off the field. But Nebraskans almost look at Barry Switzer now as kind of everybody's favorite crazy uncle. <laughs> you know, uh, that doesn't just happen overnight. Uh, you know, <sighs> the rivalry really meant a lot back in the day. And Big 12 came along and it ended. So <sighs> what, does the, what does the rivalry mean to Oklahomans now? Well, it doesn't mean a whole lot, mainly because the time, you know, we're now outside of the 2000-2001 uprising when the, when the two programs sort of met with both of them at the top mm-hmm. 30 years otherwise since, since they were both nationally relevant at the same time. Um, the old-timers like me revel in it, but um, – They've sort of just moved on. Uh, the Texas rivalry has become more important. Oklahoma State has gotten good. That's become an excellent rivalry. Sooners dominate it, but it's become <laughs> an excellent deal. So it's more just seen as, as something in the past. It's too bad. Uh, I always felt like um, OU shortchanged the rivalry when the Big 12 formed. Um, if, you, if you remember – uh, they add the four Texas schools. They split in divisions. They meet to determine how we're going to how we're going to schedule this thing. And they had some options, and they settled on just the straight, you know, eight game schedule. Everybody in your division, and then the three you play three teams from the other division every two years, and then switch to the other three teams. Which meant we would go dark with OU Nebraska, and there were options not to do that. The SEC had given us that option. The SEC did something very similar, splitting, splitting it into uh, east-west. But the SEC gave each school a crossover opponent that they would play every year. They did that for one reason, to keep the Alabama-Tennessee rivalry alive. And it's a format the SEC still uses today. And I always thought that if, if 
if OU had had some more foresight and OU did it because they were stink, stinking at the time and they know they'd get pulverized by the Huskers. You know, the two years, the Big 12, first two years of the Big 12, Nebraska beat them 69 to 7 and 73 21. So they were right about that, but still have a little bit of foresight and, and, and play the long game. If, if they would have protected the rivalry and kept that rivalry alive, it's possible Nebraska would have never left the Big 12. Now, it's possible they would have. I'm not here. Nebraskans know way more about it than I do. But I've always thought that was one major reason, that was one f- fewer reasons to keep the league, to stay in the league. Um, if you had that rivalry, maybe Nebraskans figure out a way to make it work. But it was just one major reason to say, you know what, we don't even have that that annual rivalry anymore. What, why are we here? So I think the sooner shortchanged the rivalry at the start uh, of the big 12. So, you know, big 12 was almost on the verge of collapse 10 years ago. Nebraska left Colorado, eventually Missouri, Texas A&M. And now we have Oklahoma and Texas moving on to the sec What's your feeling on it? And what's kind of the general Oklahoma feel on it? Oh, everybody's excited. I mean, everybody's been fired up about it. They've been down on the Big 12 for, you know, a decade or so. Um, They dominate the Big 12. They've won six straight titles and played in four playoffs. So it's going great for them. But they, you know, when you lose A&M and you lose Nebraska, one problem you have is – your home schedule is not as strong as it used to be, your your season ticket package. So especially when your best game is played annually on a neutral field in Dallas, OU, Texas. Mm -hmm. So people are excited about the thought of LSU or Alabama or Georgia or Florida coming to Norman on a semi-regular basis. Um, Little trepidation, I would say, because everybody sort of realizes they're not going to win as much as they used to. Probably still win big, but six straight conference titles are not coming down the pike after they get to the SEC. Everybody sort of knows that. So, um, but I would say it's general excitement um, and not a ton of nostalgia about the Big 12. What, what What nostalgia exists goes all the way back to the Big 8 and you know, thinking about Nebraska and Colorado and, and that. There's not a ton of nostalgia, I don't think, for the Big 12. That's interesting you say that because that's kind of how Nebraskans view it still to this day. It's the nostalgia for the Big 8, the glory years of all the schools, not so much right now, even though, you know, like, for example, you have a great – what's become – on the scoreboard lopsided, but in the grand scheme of things, a very good rivalry with your own in-state Oklahoma state, you know, the Cowboys Sooners bedlam that's really come out a lot over the past few years. And I mean, it's, it's even a game I watch on a regular basis and I try to, regardless of how good the teams are, uh, you know, leaving the big 12 here fairly soon, you know, are, are there any feelings towards leaving some of these schools like o- Oklahoma state? Yeah, there's there's some regret and trepidation, and um, you know OU's been in a conference with Kansas, Kansas State, and Iowa State, 
for 102 years. So that's a long history. And, you know, I think that there's a little bit of trepidation, but they just felt like they had to do it. You know, the financial package was just too great. Heck, the security alone. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And I mean, OU, OU would always be secure. OU would always have a landing spot. I don't think they worried more about the money than the security. If you're a Oklahoma State, if you're a Kansas State, if you're a Texas Tech, security is important to you because you know the rug could get pulled out from under you. The rug's not going to get pulled out. If the Big 12 had somehow collapsed, you know, in 2024, and OU was still, you know, a viable member, they'd have just landed somewhere within 15 minutes. They wouldn't have had a problem. But the financial is just, just too much to, stand, to, to pass up. So there was some regret, but, you know, they really had no choice when it came down to the money. If, you're, if your job is to look out for the University of Oklahoma and you're the president or you're the board of regents or you're the athletic director, it was too easy of a choice. There wasn't really much to think about. Wow. No, that's, it's interesting to hear you say that because a lot of, it's a lot of the same feelings that Nebraskans had when we left the big 12, 10 years ago. You know, I mean, it, it really came down to those things that, and we wanted to get the hell away from Texas, <laughs> but, right. you know, uh, look how both of those schools have done over the past 10 years. Uh, nonetheless, we, we've got a big game coming up here between Oklahoma and Nebraska. What are your thoughts on this Oklahoma team? And what are your kind of final thoughts on this game between the two, the, the two old school blue bloods? Well, it's, it's the Sooners appear to be loaded. Now the season opener with Tulane is shaky. They had a 37 to 14 lead and then sort of went into cruise control and Tulane made it interesting at the end, but OU certainly set up to be, have their best team since 17 and 2017 OU was as good as anybody in the country and could have won the national title. They go to the semifinals, lose to Georgia in double overtime. Georgia goes on to the national title game and loses to Alabama in overtime. So those three teams were virtual equals. This team looks like it could be as good as that team. Um, but they're going to have to prove it. They do have a veteran quarterback in Spencer Rattler. He was certainly, you know, was a, you know the, the cat's meow in everybody's eyes. Everybody's talking about number one draft pick, all that. Maybe he turns out to that. Um you know they've got they got a veteran offensive line. They've got they've got uh, uh, excellent receivers. They've got tailback depth issues. They've only got two vars- two scholarship tailbacks, and it doesn't matter if they're both great. Two's not enough, so that's a concern. The defense appears to be better, so they've got all the ingredients. We'll see if they do it. Um, but uh, you know people are excited. For, for this matchup, the 50-year anniversary. You know, it's a little bit of a bummer with COVID. Um, it's a little bit of bummer with Fox putting the game at 11 a.m. OU had all kinds of festivities planned. They're going to have to squeeze those now. Um, but, uh, you know, people still, people still love the history. They love the tradition. And, you know, think about it. All, all you need to know about what OU thinks in Nebraska Forget necessarily the fans or the media. Think about what the University of Oklahoma thinks about the University of Nebraska. OU basically set this game up to celebrate the 
the 50-year anniversary of an historic game in which they lost. OU lost the game of the century. OU's won seven national titles. They've got, was it seven or eight? I get I forget how many Heisman trophies. They got lots to celebrate with their history. They don't have to celebrate a game they lost, and yet they choose to do it, and they've chosen to do it with this, with this commemoration, uh, the 50-year. And I think that tells you all you need to know about what the Sooners themselves, the athletic department, the people making the decisions, think about Nebraska. They cherish the history. They wish they were still together. They know circumstances are what they are. They're not together, but it's a way to, to sort of keep commemorating what was once a, a wonderful and fabulous tradition. Wow. No, I, I don't think I could put it better myself. That's, that's a great way of looking at it from the Oklahoma perspective. So well, anyway, Barry, we are running out of time. Why don't you give the listeners at home uh, a way they can find you, read your stuff, any information on you? Yeah, just oklahoman.com is the best way. And, um, yeah, we'll be, we'll be all over the, the Husker game here in the next, uh, next few days and in the week. So uh, looking forward to it. Cool. And thank you so much for coming on board. You bet.